Welcome to Working Dog Radio, broadcasting the bite. All right, everybody, we want to take a second to talk to you about an amazing sponsor. We have an amazing relationship with RayAllen.com. Ray Allen is a one-stop shop for everything dog, not just working dogs. Everything dog that you need, you can go down there, check them out, RayAllen.com. Awesome people. They got everything you need. Another one of our favorite partnerships is with a dog trip. They've been with us from the start. Uh, great collars, great ball poppers, great GPS tracking, big dog, small dog, bark collars, everything. I got everything like that they have at the kennel. We use it every day. Be sure to head them up, dogtrip.com. Listen for the discount code later in the episode. Hits 2023 is being held in Scottsdale, Arizona. I hear they have a, at the hotel, they have like this super high-end shopping outside. And I think you can go surfing in the desert, which I'm super looking forward to. Anyway, Scottsdale, Arizona. August 15th to the 18th. So hurry up and register now to save a spot and make sure you get a room. Take the guesswork out of making sure you're feeding your working dog correctly by using Kinetic Dog Food. Hit them up at kineticdogfood.com and look them up on the Instagrams at kineticdogfood. Take all the guesswork out and do it right from the beginning. We love Horizon Structures. Dude, this stuff is so awesome, man. You can get online. You can talk to them. You could build it you want from Mild to wild, they'll come bring it to your place, set it down on your pad, hook up your power, hook up your water, and you can put dogs in it that day. If you don't believe me, check out some guys like uh, Justin Rigney. He's got a great setup there. Ask him. Check him out, horizonstructures.com. Working Dog Radio, broadcasting the bite. Uh, I am Ted Summers, as always. From, well, not always, but just today. Uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, Eric. Uh, Stan Bros with me from Canton still. Uh, Eric, what's up, man? I'm alive. That's good. Um, <laughs> survived a pretty bad chemical reaction to a flea collar. People are, listen, here's the deal. And I on my Instagram, I've used, um, grab Seresto collars. I don't know, 300 dogs. Probably I just grab them, put them on them. It's easier, especially if I have the dog for a short period of time, I get them and then they go off to the police department department, then usually gets them on the pill or whatever. I kind of have a, just irritation of the fact that you have to go to a vet's office to get those pills. It drives me fucking crazy. But I, um, so I get the collars while I go try to get some and they're out of them. So I just grabbed like an idiot. I grabbed the brand that was there that I've used one other time before without a problem. And it's hit or miss, even on the pills, the topical, the collars, everything It's hit or miss on some dogs, whether it's going to work or not, or they're going to have a reaction to it. Um, but I know I had a reaction to it, which I didn't really realize. I thought it was some food allergy that I had. And um, I figured out in the morning when I went back to the kennel that it was the collar. But um, a, a, a lady who's <clears throat> a medical professional reached out on Instagram, sent me a message, said, hey, because um, I think I said the Benadryl didn't really do anything that night. She said, take a Benadryl and add Pepsid with it. Said it's a cocktail that they use in hospitals all the time. And uh, she said, if it's really bad, which it was, but I, she goes, try it. And if it's really bad, you'll have to get a steroid too. But dude, I'm telling you, I took, um, I took that Pepsid and Benadryl together and within short order, it started improving like very quickly hours. Yeah. Like no shit. couple hours. Um, and then yeah, it's been good. Really? Mm-hmm. Huh. Wow. All right. Well, yeah. 
damn. I no, never heard never of it. But uh, a couple of people messaged go. me. They said, yeah, man, I've had a reaction. The doctors told me to do that. Um, there was somebody said a family member of theirs had uh, some weird reaction to COVID where it was making them itchy all over. And they gave him that cocktail and it cleared it right up. So if you get if you're one of those that get poison ivy real bad, you should try that. See if that works. I don't. But do you, yeah, give it a I shot do. if you have to. I had the I had I had the shots when I was a kid. No, mm-hmm. I'm not gonna go out and get it just to find out. Uh, so I had handler school start. What was today? Wednesday, Tuesday, whatever today is. I did heart. I had handler school start on uh, Monday. So I got these guys here for quite a while uh, with five handlers and <clears throat> got some more dogs coming in from our vendor uh, soon to backfill. So they're in my not the next class with the class after. So we're already, I'm like leapfrogging like as we go through. So I got a batch of dogs in and they're almost ready for the class. When this class ends, they'll be ready. So, and I've got like a three or four week break. And then, so we jump through everything. But uh, other than that, it's back to the freaking grind after going to Minneapolis and uh, Florida. And we have another HRD coming up um, after that. But, uh, and then of course we got hits and we've got blue line. Obviously, coming up in uh, what April? May. May. Yeah. May. When's Blue Line? Yeah. Or May. No. First week. And they changed the name of it this year. Fucking Joe's going to be pissed. I fucked up. Hold the, the line. <laughs> It'll be all right. It's the one in Pitt. Hold the line. That's right. It's the one in Pittsburgh. It's the one in Pittsburgh. That's that one. Um. Yeah, so the pits and then and hits after that. But uh, yeah. So I don't know. You tell me. You want to introduce him? Oh no, you want me to do it? That's right. Sorry. So um. Yeah. You know, in the in the world of canine, um, a lot of us only know each other through Instagram, Facebook, social media, different types like that. We we may never meet these people or I think we maybe talk on the phone once in a while or message back and forth. But there are people in the business who you see doing good things out there, doing good work. And um, that stuff always sticks in your head. And those are people that we think about having getting guests on here. So but anyways, Scott um calendar thanks for coming on um from what i see you guys are uh you guys are working like uh got a lot of stuff going on what's uh let's tell everybody how you got to that point where what's your history all right uh, um well i was uh kind of that nerdy kid that that grew up wanting someday to be a police dog handler you know my my stepdad was a dog handler and i'll never forget like the first time i saw him with his dog and with a squad car and, you know, in uniform, I just, I don't know what happened, but I just knew I had to do that someday. And, uh, I mean, I even had, when I was like 10 years old. I had my mom. sew one of his canine patches onto my jacket and, you know, I, I, I grew up wanting to get into this and, uh, eventually made it happen. Um, so my dad, uh, he, he was a dog handler in like the early eighties probably. And it's kind of funny because when his last dog retired, his dog, it was a German shepherd named Otto. And he came to me and he said, listen, um, you know, I didn't, I don't know if I really want to keep Otto, but I know you're attached to him. So uh, he's going to be your dog. I want you to care for him. You're going to exercise him, feed him, you know, do all that stuff. Well, I, I took that to the extreme. And the next thing you know, I was like in fifth grade. And the next thing you know, I'm building obstacles and I'm doing like demos for, for the neighbor kids. And, and, uh, and, uh, yeah. And that, that, <laughs> That ended one day when I decided it'd be a good idea to throw a hockey shin pad on my little brother's forearm and tell him to take off running. Fortunately, there was no bite. Uh, Otto just kind of looked at him like, what the heck am I supposed to do? But obviously, Dad found out, and I kind of put him into that. But um, 
so I, I kind of grew up, you know, I, when I was real young, I, I remember going to trainings and demos. And when I was about 17, my mom and he got divorced and uh, he ended up uh, getting married to a, another dog trainer up in the Minneapolis area. And they both knew I had a strong interest in it. And about that time, she was she was doing some training for, uh, you know, training facility detection dogs, narcotics and bomb dogs. And she had an injury to her shoulder. So I, I started off just kind of by helping her because with her injury, she couldn't hold a leash. And so I helped her train these dogs up and learned uh, just a ton and basically was hooked. Uh, I started my police career in 1995 with the Mesa Police Department in Arizona. And our department, at that time, you had to have a significant amount of time on to, to move to canine. And so I, uh, you know, I did a, a variety of different special units within the department. Um, in like the late 90s, I got involved in dog sports, particularly uh, Schutzund, joined a, a dog club down here. And in, I think, 2000 or 2001, I took over as a training director of my club. And then I went to, uh, I finally got chosen for the canine unit with my department in 2008. And in 2012, I took over as one of the two trainers. And uh, about 2015, I became the Southwest Regional Director for the National Police Canine Association. And uh, yeah, I met Daryl Gaunt in, I think, 2008. And for whatever reason, we, we started off with a bromance and, and just kind of went from there. And I started teaching with him, I think, in 2017. And it's just kind of gone from there. And I, I mean, Daryl's, you guys have had him on the show, but he is a, a, just a plethora of knowledge. And, and not only that, but he is just a phenomenal person, too. So I really appreciate all the, all the opportunities he's given me to help him out with stuff. Yeah, we uh we like Daryl. Um again, I <laughs> boy, I'm lost. I I I could have swore dude, last thing I saw from that dude, he was out with his grandkids like in a camper and oh, saw snow God, and colder weather the and camper. Yeah. Dude, we're we're doing a class in uh, Marietta, California this weekend or this later this week. And after I talked to you on the phone, Eric, I, I talked to him and uh I thought we were going to be hoteling it, but he changed it up and he's bringing his camper, so I'm going to be Shacking up with him in the Hillbilly Hotel for this, this seminar again. <sighs> See, I gotta go. I would be out. I can't do it. I know. Yeah. Not yeah. a camper at all. Yeah. So, yeah. So back when it's you got in, nine, but... how many dogs were there? I'm sorry. What? Back when you got into canine, like how big was your unit, and what was it like? Um, you know, it's it's really sad. So the department, the department I work for, is a pretty big department. You know, we've got uh, just under between like 800 and 1,000 cops, and we're fortunate enough that we have a full-time SWAT team. So the way our unit was set up is under the under tactical or SWAT, there was three full-time SWAT teams, the K-9 unit, uh, EOD, and the negotiators. And when I started, we had eight dogs. And that, has, that maintained all the way um, up until I left. And unfortunately, now they're down to four, which is no. absolutely insane for a city of our size but you know like we were talking about before we started you know i think that's unfortunately kind of the trend throughout the country you know uh, you know canines are getting to be scary and they're not really a priority for a lot of departments anymore which is sad because it's such a priceless tool yeah we 
we had 180 guys that had uh, nine dogs for a long time. Uh, they've settled on seven dogs for years. And I, as far as I know, we'll maintain that for a long time. So, um, yeah. There's a lot more scarier, quote unquote, things uh, in these departments besides the dog. Did anything else get cut down like that? Um, you know what? I don't really know. There, you know, it's like every other department right now. They're struggling for people, and um, you know, they can't fill the vacancies on patrol. And I mean, uh, patrol is the backbone of every department. If they can't fill those positions, and they just don't have the bodies to allocate to some of these specialties, they got to make cuts somewhere. You know, I, it. What was the, um, so you get in there with your first dog. What was the, uh, like the training style back then? Cause mine was all yank and crank for sure. Everybody back. Yeah. I got in at 05. That was pretty similar. Yeah, it was, uh, it's interesting because uh, first of all, back then canine and pretty much all throughout my canine career, we were, I mean, I hate to say it like this and I don't mean to sound cocky, but we were like the golden boys of the department. You know, they, everybody loved the dog unit. We were very successful. We had, um, you know, we did a lot of good work and everybody really liked us in the department, really supported us. As far as training, you know, the guy that uh, was my trainer, uh, great, great guy. It was, it, it started off when I first got there, kind of old school. Like you said, a lot of, um, like very set in the ways. Like our, our, we had our own in-house uh, hand, basic handler course, but it was literally the exact same curriculum as the Adlerhurst program and which, and actually it probably wasn't even the current Adlerhurst program. It was the, like 1989 version. And uh, so we worked real hard over the next couple of years to, to really kind of evolve that and, and bring it to some more modern methods. I, uh, you know, I had a lot of dog background when I came to the canine unit and I remember I, I actually, I, I found out after I was out cause I'm still really good friends with my original Sergeant that, I almost got kicked out because, you know, and you guys can probably relate with this, but back then the way that they would train a call off or a recall yeah. was, you know, they'd throw the dog on a long line, send him out after a guy in a bite suit and, you know, give that one command. And if he doesn't, you know, he doesn't respond, he hits the end of the line, does a backflip. And well, you know, I, from my sport background, I, I walked in and, and the dog that I got was kind of a hand-me-down dog. Another handler had him, took him through patrol school. And then uh, didn't really work him on the streets very long. And I got him. And this dog was a freaking rock star if he had the long line on. Like every time he had the long line on, he would recall no problem. Take that long line off. Yep. Goodbye. He's going. And so on my own, I, I, I used some other methods. And uh, my, my sergeant, phenomenal guy. I mean, one of the best leaders, I've, best men I've ever known. But he, he called me in one day. Because it got to the point where I wasn't using the long line anymore. And, um, you know, he said, hey, some other people are getting upset with you because, you know, you're not using the long line. And I said, well, okay, what, what's the problem? You know, and he said, well, you know, you're not using our techniques to do this. And I said, you know what, John? Um, I said, let me ask you a question. Out of the whole unit right, right now, whose dog consistently calls off, long line or not? He's like, well, yours does. And I said, so what's the, what, what's the problem? You know, I said, the problem that I perceived when I got this dog was he respected the equipment. He wasn't respecting me. So I had to use other methods and, uh, and, and I got to give the guy credit because, you know, I was a newer handler at the time and him, you know, being in charge of the unit with all these more senior people, you know, he, he asked me what my thoughts were on it. And I, I kind of broke it down and told him the techniques that I had used and, and my, 
meaning on it. And he said, you know what? He's like, you're going to be the trainer of our unit someday. So I got to give him big props and a lot of respect for that because he, you know, you know, I think a lot of sergeants in that situation would have been like, no, you're going to do it our way, period. But he, uh, he was forward thinking enough to go, you know what, maybe this guy's on something. So, um, you know, over the next couple of years, we really did evolve and, and started using some uh, more uh, diverse method instead of just the crank the dog into submission or, you know, compulse him into submission or, or, or compliance. And we had a lot more success after that. Did you, um, did you start incorporating food in your OB? You know what? Um, I, I, not, I have used food in obedience. Um, I don't remember a time that we really used food in obedience in the police department back then. Like I've used it with, with younger dogs and new dogs. Um, but I don't remember a time that we actually incorporated it at work. Yeah. You know, when I, when I took over, everything was uh, yank, 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 then go play ball for five minutes. And yeah. um, so when I, my yeah. first iteration of change was um, focus heel with a ball or, you know, rewarding lot, yeah. bunch of work, a bunch of stuff. And do the older, the older guys in the area were like, what are you, sissy? You gotta, you, you know, that's not how we do it. We make yeah. them. And then we, play with them for five minutes in the corner of the field. That's what you do. So when you had to probably brought some of the sports stuff in there, how was that received? You know what? Overall it was received pretty well. Um, there was, there was one guy in particular that had some issue with it, but he ended up leaving the unit a couple years later. And, and the interesting thing is like everything else, like he never confronted me or talked to me about it face to face, but um, you know, it was received uh, pretty well. And, you know, like I, you were just talking about, it. I mean, we, we had some dogs that, you know, if you did that, that old school, what I would call unfair methods, you were going to get bit. Like, I mean, we had some dogs that just weren't, weren't going to tolerate that kind of stuff. And we had guys getting bit. And, um, you know, my, my thing is, you know, all, all, you know, dog training is, it all comes down to kind of the same concepts, right? Um, we all put our own little twist on things or whatever, but it's a pretty basic, and I, and I know a lot of trainers out there are going to kill me for saying this, but but dog communication and dog behavior shaping is actually pretty basic stuff. We're the ones that make it complicated. And that's, you know, I said my opinion, and some people will be upset about it. But, um, you know, if you're fair with a dog, even, even those uh, sharper dogs, in my experience, if you're fair, they not only accept the correction, but they actually kind of expect it. They expect that from you as your as your leader. You know they expect to be held accountable, and and really they they want to know that they have a secure uh, alpha. Um, so you know mixing in, you know, some different methods, I think we had a lot of success. And you know, I, I was so when I when I first went to the unit, I'll never forget. I had one guy pull me aside and he said, "Hey, you know, what do you want?" You know, what kind of dog do you want? So well, what, what do you mean? He goes, well, you can have a street dog or you can have a trials dog. One of the two, you can't have both. And I remember thinking, well, that's bullshit. You know, no, I, I, I want a dog. I want my dog to run through fire, eat through a wall to, to find an engaged man. But at the same time, I want to be able to control him. And, you know, I, I think that there's still some people out there that to this day that believe that a good solid police dog street dog can't be well controlled and they can be you can have that and, and to me there's nothing like there, there's nothing better i mean I, that's what i get off on is seeing you know taking those really hard street 
monster dogs and and harnessing and controlling that that power really. I mean, that's yeah. There's nothing like it, man. And you guys know what I mean. I mean, when you're when you get there and you finally click and you know you got that dog, that as soon as you give him the go ahead, he is gonna he's gonna go do God's work. But at the same time, if I need to recall him or I need to direct him, he's gonna listen to me. There's something there's something refreshing about it. It gives me goosebumps. There's nothing like it. Both of those no. things. And I every time one of my handlers gets a bite, uh, the first thing I ask them as I say, Did you know it was gonna happen? And they're like, Well, yeah. And I'm like, Well, how did you know? And they're like, Oh, because you know, they give me the rundown of why, and it usually has to fall back on training. And then the inevitable yeah. question is, Were you afraid that something's gonna go sideways? And most of the time they're like, Not really. I mean, like I was pretty <laughs> confident in what was going on and all this other stuff, but there is a, because it, it's such a weird thing for me to hear like jibber jabber on fucking social media and people like, well, you don't know he's going to engage. You don't know he's going to engage. And I'm like, man, I don't know about you, but I've been bit by enough social police dogs and we've produced enough fucking, as you said, street sweepers, Eric and I both have that. Like it's, I'd say it's kind of like porn, you know, when you see it, like, I'm like, this dog is yeah. going to bite somebody. And, you know, it's always interesting. Uh, several of our dogs have had bites within 30 days after coming out of school. And the handlers are like, yeah, I just knew like it was going to happen. And there's something refreshing about that. There's a certain sense of calmness. And even when I watch the body cam videos from those bites, the handlers are like, you know, some of these guys, it's their first bites. And they're, you know, they're pretty calm-ish for you know relative to what's going on right i've seen some shit shows i, I have not my guys thank god not recently anyway right. and so you know it, it's a you know like you said like being able to control like that amount of power is is an interesting and it's a it's a refreshing thing it's a super empowering too i see a lot of handlers like you said when they click um i have a very experienced handler that we have placed with one of the one he he wanted one of those dogs and that's what he got and they're finally getting into a groove and they're they're gonna find people and find stuff. <laughs> they have already found they've already they've already found a lot of stuff. But, yeah, that's that's yeah, awesome. So uh without a doubt. And the thing is that that old school mentality of, you know, well, you can't you can't have control over of a street dog, you know. That's not true. You know, when, when, so the way I met Daryl, well, I, I first met Daryl at a conference and like I said, we, we clicked for whatever reason and, and got to be friends, but he ran the LA County you know, SWAT canine school. And at the time um, we were, and we were biting a lot of SWAT hmm. cops. There's no way around it. We, we were, we were biting and we were using, um, we were using kind of Brad Smith's skid style of deployments with our SWAT team. And, you know, we, we bit, slew of SWAT cops in a pretty short period of time. And I thought, and this is shortly after I took over as one of the trainers. And I thought, you know, we've, we've got to do something better. You know, there's something that we're missing. We got to find a better way. And so I, I went out to LA County, went through Daryl's class and uh, you know, I don't know how familiar you guys are with, uh, with that, their style, but I brought it back to our team. I gave him a presentation on, it. I said, Hey, let's go out to the live firehouse and let's, let's run through some stuff. And you know, the, the, the gist of it is, is, you know, that style is, you know, when the dog's working, the team is is, still, is staying still. You know, the dog goes out and kind of leapfrogs ahead of the team the whole time. And once the dog's done working, then he gets called back to the handler. The dog gets hooked up, then the team takes that room. And it's a very slow and deliberate, slow and methodical movement through a building. And the, and it, um, it's all off leash. You know, now, you know, 
you know, I've had people ask me, well, you don't use a long line for anything? Well, of course I do. Like I always took a long line in with me. I mean, there might be a time where I need to send my dog into, you know, I had a guy sitting on a bath, on a toilet one time, you know, so I hooked my dog up, sent him in, fished him out. Right. But all of our, you know, um, our deployment style in a building with SWAT was all off leash. And, you know, you got to have number one, you got to have that dog that you know is going to do his job. I mean, you know, you guys know the drill. When, when SWAT shows up, this is already an elevated situation, right? And so you've got to got you got to have that dog. You know, is going to go in. He's going to find man. He's going to engage man. He's going to stay in the fight on his own because it's going to take us a while to get up there. You've got to have that really strong dog. But at the same time, you know, I need to have control of him. And uh, you know, once we and you know, I presented it to our SWAT guys, and, and they actually loved it. And so we we changed our tactics and went to that and. Uh, Fast forward a couple of years, I started teaching it with Daryl and, um, you know, things were very, very successful and it, yeah. Anyway. That's good. <laughs> SWAT guys love not getting bit. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they do. Although, you know, and I'm sure SWAT guys are the same all over the country too, that, you know, they, and, it, and it's funny. So I, I, I don't know if you guys saw on my social media, but, but, uh, both my, both my sons are in the army. They're both, uh, 75th ranger regiment and my my oldest son just got a dog he just became a dog handler and uh and it's interesting because you know i get i get four or five phone calls a week from handlers throughout the country asking me for advice and stuff and now it's it's kind of cool because now my son is one of them you know and the the way that they work with their dogs and i know you guys have had some some special operations guys on before but you know their dogs have to be really uh neutral to the team you know they're not only you know their team guys aren't just directing the dogs, but they're physically handling them and physically moving them to room to room. And, and, um, it's kind of cool to see in it. And, you know, even though we didn't deploy that way, we trained that way. Cause my feeling was if my team could be going in and doing a dynamic entry, my dog can be off leash and he has good enough uniform recognition, um, that he, he ignores the team members, you know, the way that we actually deploy, I'm never going to have a problem. You know, it's kind of the whole thing of like, we, we you know, we train, to a hundred so we can deploy it to 70. Right. And, uh, but it's, I don't know. It's, it's cool to see. Yeah. That's cool. So <laughs> Eric, you're just yeah, going to stare yeah. at me. Yeah. Um, we're going to go and take a break. Um, when we come back. We're going to talk about, so we've, we've talked about this numerous times on here where like at my department in the beginning, the e-collar was um, just to use for the worst dogs, you know, to teach the out and, in recall even though they would try to do recall just with the e-collar and was weird wondered why the dog ran off but uh um and ted's first e-collar experience i think was yeah. gas powered like you had to pull Dude, start it, it like a it lawnmower looked like the phone from saved by the bell <laughs> and it had one fucking button and you yeah. had to change the thing out on the bottom to yeah. make it hot or not or it had three right and then everybody was like put the black one on uh yeah so oh boy. <laughs> i still have that somewhere yeah. So we get back. Uh, we're going to talk to Scott about some uh, behavioral shaping using the e-collar and kind of how the their training is advanced to where it's at now. So stick around. Uh, check out the sponsors. We love it that you support our people. We'll be right back. All right. One of the largest conferences in the country uh, hits canine training conference. It's America's premier canine training seminar packed to the brim with the world's best instructors and me and Eric. All covering important topics. There is no better place to learn and no better place to network with other handlers, breeders, trainers, and vendors. HITS 2023 is being held in Scottsdale, Arizona. I hear they have a at the hotel 
They have like this super high-end shopping outside. And I think you can go surfing in the desert, which I'm super looking forward to. Anyway, Scottsdale, Arizona, August 15th to the 18th. So hurry up and register now to save a spot and make sure you get a room. We'll see everybody there. Largest law enforcement training conference in the world. Tons of training classes. Lots of training topics for everybody and everything. Hours included and more network opportunities. Be sure to hit up Jeff Barrett at 863 869-5113 529-5113 hits canine letter k number nine dot net and at hits underscore canine and all of your socials one of the best relationships we have in this podcast and in this industry is with the great people down at kinetic dog food the story of kinetic uh, performance dog food is pretty simple they wanted to make a better premium dog food for the dogs that need it the most their goal is to give every working and sporting dog a higher energy level better performance, and better overall health through superior nutrition. So they formulated a line of food based on what they considered to be the optimal profile of a performing of performance dog. They've done tons of research on this. This isn't their first rodeo. These guys know what they're doing. If you're a kennel, they will come to your kennel. They will see the problems that you have. They will check out what works for the dogs that you have. Um, they're amazing people to work with. They drop ship a pallet right to you if you want. Um, I know a lot of guys that use them. There's a bunch of different formulas on there. And uh, 32K might not be for your dogs. Maybe the 26K works. They can adjust it. They'll give you the right ideas what to do in different parts of the year. Winter's different than summer. It's uh, it's really a well-run, good dog food um company kineticdogfood.com be sure to check them out on social media too man they're they're amazing folks kineticdogfood.com so my entire time that i was a handler or a trainer in law enforcement the cars at my department in the departments that i trained all had american aluminum accessory kennels in the cars different cars man dodge chargers all afford models some chevys uh suvs cars everything we loved American Aluminum Accessories. Um, it's a great product, a great company. They've been serving uh, canine law enforcement community for over 20 years. If you check out their uh, website, EZ, that's the letter Z, EZRiderOnline.com. They got testimonials. They got videos on how to. They got a list of everything they have. Uh, just today, we made a post on the Working Dog Radio social media showing a dog that survived a really bad crash because of the American Aluminum kennel in the back of the car check them out online guys easyrideronline.com just let them do their thing man whatever car you got for your work your patrol car get a hold of them american aluminum accessories and get the best in the business next up comes uh training courses online from our friends down at highland canine training jason and aaron Ferguson. so in the post rona world uh training budgets have been getting cut people aren't gonna be able to travel whether it be instructors or they be canine handlers and supervisors going somewhere else for training. So Highland has announced a lot of online training courses. One of those that sticks out to me is their police supervisor canine course. And it's no secret that one of the problems with canine tends to be some of the supervision issues. This course is specifically designed for administrators and covers utilization as well as liability and FLSA issues. The course can be taken at your convenience and you'll receive a certificate of completion at the end. When you go to Tactical Police Canine Training, that's letter K number nine, training.com, and use the discount code WDR30, you'll get 30% off of that course. All right, we're back. Working Dog Radio broadcasting the bite with uh, Scott Callender from Paraclete Canine. 
Uh, he works with Daryl. He doesn't own the company. We made that very clear. And Daryl's yeah. listening to this. We owe you some Whataburger. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, he'll definitely be listening. <laughs> He's going to give me shit relentlessly right. for that. Oh, well, Eric said it, not yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> Let him give Eric yeah, shit. Not, yeah, that's my Eric's fault. fault. Blame I'm, Eric. Yeah. Uh, so before we left, we were I have chemical <laughs> brain. fucking wearing dog collars. You're wearing flea collars. Don't do that. Um, so before we left, we were talking a little bit about like how we got to this part of the conversation and we were talking about, Eric said, you know, the e-callers were, they only, Eric's told the story before they had one e-caller that was the e-caller for the entire unit. And when you had a dog and it was always for outs or some bullshit and they were like, "Go get the e-caller, right? Like when you were a kid, like go get the stick. And that was like, oh, we're going to show this dog now. We're going to fucking make him. And uh, thankfully, we have made it to 2023. We don't, I mean, I know there are people that still do that, but like good trainers don't do that shit anymore. Yeah. So, one of the things you guys do at Paraclete is an e collar course, um, but sh- uh, with shaping the e collar, uh, shaping behaviors with the e collar. So, let's talk a little bit about that. And one thing that I want to hit on with, because Eric does a version of this also in his um, e collar without conflict class um, that he's done I don't know, a bunch of already. And I want to hit on like how you can apply this to, cause you guys both see handlers that, you know, like dogs, you didn't train, right. And handlers, you didn't train and you're there for three days. And so we have to kind of like instill some sort of something to these people within three days. And they may have been using the e-collar incorrectly. There may be a damaged relationship with them and the dog already. And it's a fucking shit show or it can be. Um, so we'll leave off with that, but let's talk a little bit about what that is first. And then we'll move through that whole process. Sure. So, um, first of all, like our, our class, it's, it's titled behavior shaping with e-collar. And I've kind of argued with Daryl at times, like I almost wish we would change the title because it's really more of a behavior shaping class than it is a true e-collar class. I mean, we use the e-collar and we introduce the e-collar and we, and we show handlers how to use it. But the, the, the nuts and bolts of the class is really learning how to communicate with your dog. And, uh, you know, I, I said it before, and, and I know some trainers out there will give me a hard time for saying this, but, but dog behavior shaping or dog training is actually a pretty simple process. Dogs are very black and white animals, and we're the ones that make it confusing or we, we, you know, we, over, you know, we overanalyze things. And you know, the biggest things are having that clear communication. The dog needs to understand what you expect of him. He needs to understand, you know, what's the consequences for if he doesn't, you know, if he is disobedient. And he also needs to understand what, you know, what the reward is if he's obedient. And, you know, once you, and, and then let me back up, the, and the next biggest word, in my opinion, for dog training is consistency. Like it's, you've got to be consistent all the time. And in my opinion, that's the biggest thing that I see with most handlers. Most handlers are, are doing a really good job when they're on the training field um, and, you know, it's training time, but then they go out on a real deployment and like, let's say they're in the stack and their dog, you know, is, gets up out of a down, he breaks from his down. Well, how many handlers in the real world do you know that are going to actually in the moment, you know, mark that behavior and correct it out on the field? And, and, I, and don't get me wrong, guys, like I, I did these things myself. I made these mistakes myself, but you know, and what happens with that over time, the dog starts to learn, okay, well, I have to be obedient here, but when we're out with all these other guys and, you know, bulletproof vests and helmets and everything else, I can, I can fuck around. I can get away with it because dad never holds me accountable. Right. Um, same thing 
and I, and I used to be really bad about this, you know, we go home, you know, our off duty time and, you know, you give your dog a command. Well, if he blows you off and you don't follow it up with a correction, what did you just tell him? You know, you just told him that, okay, rules only apply here. And, you know, the dogs that we use are, are pretty strong dogs. I mean, they, they're going to test us constantly because it's in their nature to, I mean, they, they have a, a genetic and, um, you know, a need to have an, an alpha, have a leader. And if, and, you know, I stole this line from Daryl, but the, you know, there's a saying that says nature reports a vacuum. Well, if a dog doesn't sense that he has a strong leader, a strong dog is going to step up and be that leader. So the lack of consistency is where I see that most handlers have problems. Um, with the e-collar, the thing that I like about it with this behavior shaping is it's, you know, cause it's, it's not a bigger stick. It, it's not a magic collar. It's not, it's just another tool that we have available to us. But I will say that it's probably the easiest tool for us to be consistent with. You know, we can, we can get like the same level correction every single time. Um, you know, how, and you guys know, like how hard is it to, to explain to a new handler, Hey, I want your timing to be perfect. I want your corrections to be consistent. I want all this. And I want that. You know, it's kind of like a clicker, you know, a clicker for marketing, right? Like I can tell a handler, Hey, I want you to mark this behavior. I want you to say yes. As soon as this ass hits the ground, we just want to sit. And I want you to say yes the same way. I want you to say yes with the same, you know, voice, with the same inflection. I want it to be consistent all the time. Well, for some reason, as human beings, we have a problem with that. But I can throw a dumb little clicker in somebody's hand and tell them, hey, as soon as, you know, tell your dog to sit. And as soon as his ass sits around, click that, you know, click the button. And for some reason, we as humans can do that, right? I mean, you guys agree with me? Oh, yeah. It's very simple for us. Mm -hmm. And oh, yeah. um, so the e-collar, you know, it's not – and. You know, and I'll tell you, like, I think, Eric, you were talking about it. When I started, um, you know, things were, the e-collar e techniques were very uh, heavy-handed, like we were talking about. And I personally, because of my sport background, I was opposed to it. Like, I I felt like an e-collar was a crutch, you know, because in the sport world, you can't wear collars like that. You know, you, know, you go out to, on the trial field to try to title your dog, you can't have anything but a choke collar first aid runner dog. You can't have anything else. Um, well, KMPB, you can't have anything on the dog. So, you know, I, I felt like it was a crutch for a long time. And uh, in, God, I don't even know what year it was, but I actually, uh, I brought Daryl out for our unit and went through this class. And first of all, all the stuff that I had learned in sport dog training that, and you guys can relate with this, as, as cops, you know, we're, we're, we want the result. Like we want, you know, we want this dog to go out and do his job and we want the result. And a lot of times I feel like a lot of our basic dog training kind of goes out the window because we're so focused on the result and the, you know, what the dog's going to do out on the streets that we forget the basics. And it's all about the, you know, the basic onesies and twosies, you know, little stuff. I know there's a quote out there, something like, you know, the, you know, amateurs want to train for the, the pool shit, professionals training the basics. Right. And, you know, in my experience with law enforcement, we kind of get so focused on all the cool stuff that we forget some of the basics. And so when I went through Daryl's class, I even told him afterward, like, you know, I didn't really learn new stuff, but this is a good reminder of the basics that I had let go because I'm so focused on, you know, like door pops or, you know, you know, uh, like flashbang inoculation or, you know, all, all, all the cool shit, right? that I had kind of forgotten about the basic stuff. So with our class, we start off and we teach, you know, we talk about 
learning to communicate with your dog. First of all, we, you know, we obviously talk about drives, what motivates the dog, you know, how they, how they communicate with each other, because, you know, for us to be able to effectively communicate with our dogs, we need to understand how dogs communicate with each other. We need to understand what they respond to. Um, and then we start talking about the behavior shaping of it. And, um, you know, it's, I keep saying this, but it's really, really simple and cut and dry. When you give your dog a known command, a dog, you know, the, the command the dog knows, he's already been imprinted. He understands the word sit means to put his butt on the ground. When you get to that point, you know, it's really as easy as you give the dog a command. If he's obedient, you mark it and he gets rewarded. If he's disobedient, you mark it and he gets corrected. And we, we incorporate the e-collar into that because, like I said, it's uh, a very consistent tool that we can use for that. You're hitting on something that is one of my fucking pet peeves with handlers and it bugs Eric yeah. too. Um, the, the need for handlers to consistently talk to dogs like it fucking matters. Oh, yeah. And you, like today yeah. I was talking to my handlers today. They're in day. What day is it? Doesn't matter. Whatever. It's one of the first two day or two or three days in class. And uh, I'm telling them one command, one behavior. He heard you the first time. Look how big his fucking ears are. And like, and I constantly tell handlers and I, and I do this with pet people and I do this with canine handlers, but I try and incorporate a ton of context into a lot of these commands. Right. So, and I tell them, I was like, from, I'm not going to talk about pet shit, but from the law enforcement side, I said, I need you communicating with humans. Like whether it's suspects or backup people yeah. or radio or something, I don't need you talking to the fucking dog. If you tell him to down, yep. he stays he down. Needs down. Yeah, and he stays there until we tell him to do something else. And Absolutely. The constant talking to dogs, like good boy, good boy, and the constant track and tracking is another one. Dudes are tracking; they're constantly telling the dog to track. They're constantly and and you know they don't know that they do it. So I watch body cams from people that are my handlers, but they're walking a car. And in two minutes on a sniff, they say they're suit their track. I'm sorry. Their, their search command like 36 times. And I'm like, shut the fuck up. Like how, and they don't like, well, I don't even realize that I'm doing it. I'm like, I can tell like, shut up. And so it's definitely one of those things that, you know, and, and in that behavior chain that you were explaining, right? So you give a command, you get compliance, you get rewarded, or we do a bridge command, whatever else, or, we get non-compliance and I tell handlers, I'm like, if you know, he's blowing you off, you need to make sure that one, he heard you and that he mm-hmm. knows that you know that he heard you. And then we can correct him. Uh, Cause a lot of these yeah. dogs like, and you know, Eric's talked about it too. Like when dogs get super deep and drive and all of a sudden, like they auditory exclusion is a thing. Right. And then all of a sudden oh, we're yeah. fucking smoking they're, them and they're like, their eyes roll then, back and they're like yeah. a shark in a feeding frenzy. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, yep. we're like, all right, we, you know, then there's a whole drive capping conversation that needs to happen and some other things. But I'm like, you got to like the corrections has got to be fair. Cause you mentioned like, I'm, I, we got some dogs right now. Fucking Snoopy is this dog that we got that came in that he's one of those dogs that he'll take a correction, but if it's not timed well, or if it's not in line with the infraction, you're going to end up wearing him. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's not And I actually really respect the heck out of those dogs. Like I, I, I do like, I, I, Hey, would you be any different? You know, if some guy was, you know, unfairly corrected, you were smacking you upside the head. Like I had, I had a conversation with the handler one time and I was like, Hey, you know, how would you feel if you had a partner and you're driving down the street and every 15, 20 minutes for no reason, 
known to you, he just sucker punched you. How would you feel? You know, of course, sooner or later, you're going to fight back. You're going to let him yeah. know, you know? So, and I, I'm so glad you touched on the talking to the dogs because every class that we do, it's funny because we, we want to make it very simple. Dogs, like I said, dogs are very black and white. They're very simple animals when it comes to that. And, and we're the ones that overcomplicate it. Like you, you know, I'm sure you guys have heard, you know, the old, uh, the old school, like uh, verbal out, you know, like a, Hey, bad guy, stand still, hands up, yeah. los, you know, and yeah. um, it's like, okay, what are you, what? No, one word. Los, what plots, house, I, I don't care what it is, one word. You know, he needs to respond to that one word. And if he hears it in the middle of all your commands, because I've, I've been in that situation, I've, I was in a, a pretty hairy situation where my dog was getting pretty severely hurt by a guy, and I needed him to let go and come back. And, you know, is he going to hear that amongst, you know, if you, if you mix into your training regimen, hey, bad guy, stand still, hands up, all this other stuff. You know, he's not going to hear it when he needs to, and he's not going to understand. But if you tell him, you know, if you teach him and you're consistent with it with one word, like just, and so every class I, I tell him, I have one or two people, you know, one or two handlers that I'll have to pull them aside and I say, listen, okay, here's what we're going to do. Because it starts off, you know, we, we start off very basic. We, we literally start with having them take one step forward and telling their dog to sit. And we, you know, we also use the, um, you know, the e-collars, it, it's not primarily a correction tool in the methods we teach. It's more for communication. You know, you're using a, a very low-level stimulation. Uh, for example, we'll, you know, on a, uh, what I was talking about, like, we'll tell them, okay, you're going to take one step, tell them to sit. While Once the handler tells them to sit, we're giving a very low-level stimulus until the dog's ass goes on the ground. And as soon as he goes on the ground, the, the e-collar stimulus comes off, they mark it with their marker, and they reward them, right? Um, and as soon as they reward him, he's usually with a tug or a ball. I tell him, okay, well, how now we're going to do the first verbal out of the class. And this is where things get spicy because that's, you know, that's where handlers look at you and go, uh, yeah, that's not going to happen. Right. And I tell him, okay, well, here's the deal. We're going to do you have, cause in the beginning we run the, we run remotes for them so they can focus on what they need to. Right. And so I, I'll tell him, I want you to give him his out command. You know, give him an appropriate amount of time. Wait till you know he's making the decision not to let go. And you're going to mark it with Fooey, no, whatever your marker is. And I'm going to correct him with the e-collar. And every single class will get guys that, you know, los, no out. Fooey, los, 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 los. And I'll be like, whoa, 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 time out, stop. You have three words. Three words, that's it. I want you to say los and then if he doesn't los, you're going to say fooey. I'm going to correct him. And when he lets go, you're going to mark it with a yes or whatever his command is. And you're going to give it right back to him. Right. And it's like, I keep saying, we're the ones that overcomplicate things because, and, and, and I've been there, we've all been there. You know, we've all gotten that habit of, of repeating commands or, you know, like the, how, you know, we talk about this too. Okay. How, how many, uh, on which los is your dog supposed to let go? The first one or the 15th? You know, because I mean, you guys know what I'm talking about. Handlers get out there. They tell their dog to let go on a verbal out and it turns into los, fooey, los, 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 here, fooey, los, here. Well, you're what you're doing. I mean, it's 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 that cycle you get in and, and it's just compounding the problem where, you know, the way we teach is one command. That's it. You tell him los one time. If he doesn't let go, it's very simple. Then you're going to tell him with a verbal marker that he's wrong, fooey. And then you're going to correct them. 
physically. Because dogs, you know, have you guys heard the term verbal correction with your hand yeah. raised? Yeah. Oh, I, yeah. I, I don't know what your guys' thoughts are, I believe it or not, but there, in my world, there is no such thing as a verbal correction, right? Like dogs don't, if I tell him fooey and I don't give him some kind of, you know, it doesn't have to be getting cracked over the head with a stick. It doesn't have to be cranked down with a pinch collar. I mean, it's all, it's all relative, right? Like it's kind of, you know, there's misdemeanors and there's felonies, right? So, um, you know, if, even at home, you know, if I tell my dog to, to sit and he doesn't sit, I'd mark it with a fooey and I'll give him like a little ear flick or just give him a little seizure Milan, you know, a little pinch or whatever. And, you know, in, in my experience, if you can maintain that consistency all the time. So as soon as he hears that word fooey, he knows two things. One, he messed up. And two, the corrections coming afterwards, right? Um, yeah. Cause how many, yeah. how many, and, and, and the proof is in the pudding. Like I, I tell guys afterward, like, Hey, when, when you say fooey and your dog does what he's supposed to do, that tells me he knew, like he intentionally just blew you off. He, he knew what that word meant. He just chose to be disobedient. And now that you told him fooey, his word for no one, you know, and a lot of different people use different words, but you know, if he becomes compliant, as soon as you use the word fooey, that means he knew what he was doing wrong. Right. But you still need to follow up on that correction. Even if it's, you know, even if it's a, a, a smaller correction, just to remind you, know, you there's still value say, in that word. When you're saying that it's, you know, things are very black and white. And that's why I try and make it super simple for both pet clients and for law enforcement guys for, for two different reasons. But, um, yeah. and things need to be very black and white and very clear. And what you're describing, the, when I start talking with handlers about corrections, I said, when we use, cause all of our dogs are trained, all, well, they're all marker trained, or I'm doing little air quotes. If you're listening to this and not watching it, um, <laughs> they're marker trained. So they have a yes command. So we make announcements at the door and, yep. you know, random police canine make yourself known dog, find you bite, blah, blah, whatever. And we do that. Dog has to be quiet. There is no warning for making noise. They make any noise, they get corrected immediately. And it's not like anything crazy, but it's positive punishment. It's perceived as consistent and serious. The other side is that we, they're, they don't want, we don't tell them to bite. We don't tell them to search. We really just say yes. And the dogs take off and they rip into yeah. the building and they're doing their job and whatever else. And so I tell handlers, I said, you know, your no has to have weight and the weight, yes, the, the weight the weight that the dog has no, the weight has no, because we trained him, but you got to understand what that means. And I have to beat it into my handlers. And I tell them no is positive punishment. And with, and without getting deep into that with those guys, I say it has to be consistent and it has to be perceived as serious to this day. My half blind fucking arthritic 13 year old Malinois. If I say no, he knows that hell is coming. Yes. And it's a hundred percent coming. And same thing. I can get a fucking clicker out with him and he knows that if I click, I better pay him. If he doesn't, he'll still try and bite me. So yep. it it's one of those things. It has to be perceived as consistent and it has to be perceived as serious. And it, that the the consistency is where handlers fall off. It's and, absolutely. And we've all done it. I mean, I'm listen, guys, everything that I teach, either one stole some from from somebody else or I learned the absolute hard way. Right. Oh, yeah. And um, I mean, I've made a Same. lot of mistakes, but Same. The, yep. the biggest mistake that we all make is that lack of consistency. And, you know, that's why I like about the e-car because, you know, I, I mentioned before, right? Like when you're on a live deployment and your dog does something to disobedient, especially in today's day and age. And we, we had a case in uh, Peoria, Arizona, probably 
five, six years ago with this handler. They were going to a house for a high risk or not high risk, a felony warrant. Just like a knock and talk. He's there. And some neighbors are filming across the street with their camera phone. Well, this dog is, and it wasn't even bad. He wasn't looking super out of control and you can't hear what the, but it looks like the dog breaks it down and kind of lunches on the line. So the handler cranks him back. It looks like he tells him to down again. The hand, you know, the dog doesn't. So he gives him like a little, a uh, little leash correction and then kind of gives him this half-assed weak suck sidekick, like just kind of kicks him, you know, in the ribs. But I mean, really weak, but it was all over the media, right? Okay, well, now let's say you are proficient with an e-collar. Same thing happens. You're on a live deployment, live at five, cameras all over the place, and your dog does something disobedient. How how much better does it look to just mark it with fooey or no and reach up to your vest and push that button and get the result? You know, it's it's such a, a it, when used correctly, and let me say this, and you guys know this, it's, in my opinion, probably the one of, one of the most, it is probably the most abused piece of dog equipment in the world, but it is also one of the most effective um, because if you, if you really know what you're doing and you can finesse that, the results that you can get are, are second to none, you know, and, you know, the way we teach it, cause you know, some people are afraid of like, Oh, I, I have a, I, I do some pet training on the side too. And I had a client that, that was interested in using an e-collar, but his concern was is shocking his dog. And I said, well, here, put this in your hand and, and feel it. And you tell me if you think this is inhumane, right? And, you know, one of the, the first things that we do in our e-collar class is we, we find each dog's lowest titration level. So the very lowest stimulus that we can see that they feel. And on a dog trip, for example, usually looking at like 10 or 11 at, at, with most dogs in the beginning. And out of 127. Exactly. And 10 or 11, I can't, I can bear, if I really concentrate, I can feel it. And honestly, I don't know how the dogs are feeling, but I can barely feel it. And, you know, that's the level that we will start with. And we'll use that for the communication, for the low level stimulus, you know, kind of that, because uh, it's like, it's a whole negative reinforcement thing, right? Like they're out of position. So they get like a level 10 or 11, whatever their level is until they're in proper position. Then the pressure goes away. Um, we also use it to to teach like a, a send out or even directionals. You know, the dog, you know, we'll we'll show the dog that hey, when I'm in this position, I give you this command. You are supposed to run in a straight line as far as you can until I come out, until you feel that pressure go away on your neck. And, and there's so many different uses for it, but I mean, you guys know that. Um, but the correction side of things, it's interesting because every class that we do, we start off with that level. And and like you mentioned before, Ted. Most of the dogs we're seeing have had some kind of exposure with e-collar. Um, and most of them we're finding pretty high levels, especially on the correction side. But by the end of the three days, that number has reduced significantly because once they understand how you're communicating with them and once they understand what's expected of them, it doesn't take as much of that compulsion or that uh, stimulant, you know, that elect electricity to get their compliance. Um, and, and it's, I mean, for me, it's cool. And I'm, I mean, I'm kind of glad that I got an opportunity to, to be a part of this because it's very, uh, it, it's very, very rewarding. I had a guy in uh, uh, Williston, North Dakota, and he, day one, like I told you, we start off with the basic obedience stuff. And I told him, all right, we're doing your first verbal out. And he looked at me and he just kind of laughed. He's like, yeah, that's not going to happen. And I'm like, dude, trust me, it, we're, we'll work it out. If it doesn't happen, we're going to work it out. 
And, and sure enough, after he got corrected one time, and after that, that dog was spitting it out, leaving the leaving the tug on the ground. Handler could go pick it up. And he kind of looked at me and laughed. He's like, oh, just wait. He's like, when he gets on a bite suit, you're going to see a totally different dog. And I, and I was kind of cocky at the moment. I can be that way sometimes. But it's like, no, I think uh, you're going to see a different dog. And what really makes me happy is this guy just last week sent me a bunch of videos. And it's been two years since he went to our class. And he still has a phenomenal verbal out. He can stand back from the decoy, one command, dog spits, recalls him, comes right back to a nice position. And, and, and the thing that sets that guy apart is he's staying consistent. Like he, he's, he's continuing it. Because you guys know, you guys do seminars. Any dog trainer can come in from the outside and over three days can, quote unquote, solve your problems or make your dog look better for that three days. But what happens when that trainer leaves, right? I mean, it's on, it's on the handlers to stay consistent and apply that throughout. Because, I mean, you know, we can't be there all the time. I, I'd love to be able to be there all the time. But ideally, my, my goal is I, I want to show the handlers, um, you know, give them the knowledge that they don't need me anymore. They don't need a, a trainer to come anymore. I want them to really understand and have that knowledge so they, they can train their own dogs from now on. Because I mean, let's face it, as professional dog handlers, we're all trainers, right? And that's kind of the way it should be. Sorry. Yeah. Um, so I'm traveling around teaching my e-collar classes and it's yeah. the concepts are very similar to yours, except I'm using tone or vibrate depending on the collar yeah. as the no or fooey. Okay. It's a negative marker prior to the correction. And I like to do it because it takes then the, the handler completely out of it. And it does help solve the problems of the dogs that know the correction came from the handler and then turn and bite the yeah. handler. So, you know, there's some poisoned dogs like that. But um, so at my classes, there's 15 dogs, 15 working dogs uh, in each class. And we like... I have really good results. Like we we make a lot of good changes out of uh, with people and of the 15 dogs after I leave, I might hear from three or four of the handlers yep. that they're, um, that they're continuing with it. And it's great. Uh, one guy told me he completely changed everything in the way he's doing his system. And it's really cleared up a lot of problems with his dog. One guy does pet dogs. He added into that realm. Um, but then there was an agency or, or big training group I was at not too long ago that I heard, on uh, the one dog, we cleared up so many problems, man. It was such a great time. And um, they're like, yeah, screw that after I left. And now they're back to the same problems. Yeah. Um, I'm like, dude, I showed you. Like, <laughs> I actually showed you live in front of you yep. how, 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 how it worked. And um, so, yeah, it's weird. It does, it does, you know, does take some consistency. They got to buy in. They got to understand it. I like the tone because then it takes away the no fooey, no fooey. Um, you know, it, it does seem to work pretty good. Yeah. Um, we're going to go ahead and take our second break. When we come back, we're going to talk about um, what Paraclete's got going on these days and maybe touch a little bit on some of the West Coast drama, uh, drama, legal <laughs> shenanigans, <laughs> drama shit. going Jesus on. Christ. Ted will have an update from that from today. Um, some stuff that happened today, but stick around guys, uh, check the show notes for the discount codes. If you fast forward to the commercials, but again, we appreciate you uh, checking out our sponsors. We'll be right back. All right. We love the Perkinsons down in uh, North Carolina at Highland canine training. They are 
great people, great trainers. They got a good business model. They're awesome folks. We've been with them for a long time. Uh, they're also super smart and they understand that a lot of agencies are struggling to have manpower. So they're not sending people away for training. You guys have been there, you know, you put in denied lack of manpower. So they've created an online course section of their website, tactical police canine training.com. You get on there under training the online course, but here's the best thing is they offer a supervisor canine supervisor course which we know a lot of uh, police canine supervisors don't get to go to training. They don't know as much as they should right here online. Uh, the course discusses topics such as proper selection of dogs and handlers, proper deployment, effective allocation and utilization, as well as liability and the FLSA issues, which we know is where all the legal stuff comes from interdepartmental. Uh, the course can be taken at your convenience and you will receive a certificate of completion at the end. Uh, they're offering an amazing discount, guys. 30% off using the discount code WDR30. It's a no-brainer. If you're a police supervisor and you guys have manpower issues and you can't go, get on tacticalpolicecaninetraining.com under the training tab. Get on that supervisor's course, man. I'm telling you, it's a smart decision. All right, guys, we're going to take a quick break for just a second and talk about Dogtra, one of our favorite sponsors. Uh, Dr. has been committed for over 20 years to crafting dog training e-collars to perfect and precise fit and finish, intuitive design, and accountable performance. The Dogtra 1900S e-collar is one of my favorites, and it demonstrates what they strive for, an ultimate dog training tool that is durable, dependable, and designed for the most demanding conditions, which I can attest to because I tear stuff up frequently. My favorite is the 1900S Black and the 1900S Hands-Free, which I use all the time. Check it out at Dogtra. Dot com. Be sure to use the discount to code WDR10 for 10% off any single item over 200 bucks. That includes the 1900 and the 1900 black. It's no secret that we love Ray Allen canine equipment. We use their products every single day. The mission statement says it all. To be a world leader in quality and innovative innovation of professional canine equipment for police, military, Schutzen, and ring sport. To exceed our customers' expectations and deliver on time, every time, at a fair price. We full-heartedly believe they've held to that since it is our go-to one-stop shop for everything canine. Not everything canine alone, guys, dogs in general. If you train dogs, if you have a dog, everything you need for dog or canine, check out Ray Allen Canine Manufacturing, rayallencanine.com. Use the discount code WDR10 for 10% off. Super excited to have American Aluminum Accessories on board with us here at the podcast. These guys manufacture a wide variety of products from high quality cam locker toolboxes to an extensive line of products designed to meet the ever-changing needs of law, the law enforcement community. Around 1992, due to the demand for safe and secure transport for a local law enforcement agency's canine unit, they introduced the very first in-vehicle Easy Rider canine container. So it was basically what we now call just our inserts. They have continuously grown and expanded uh, the products, catering to the needs and the wants of their valued customers and high-profile clientele, and catering specifically to law enforcement. Over the years, as the needs have changed for law enforcement, they've evolved and expanded the products to include inmate transport systems, the canine training aids, which I use quite a bit of, canine inserts. Most of, every one of my guys has one of those things. And you know, you if you're not even have to be in law enforcement. I have several friends that are civilians that work. <laughs> lots of dogs that have the inserts put into their cars too so if you got one that fits you can do it uh they also do contraband and animal control systems just to name a few so be sure to hit them up the website is easy rider online so that's the letter e the letter z as in zebra 
rideronline.com. If you're looking for them on Instagram and Facebook, it's American Aluminum Accessories. Feel free to hit them up there too. So our first and oldest sponsor that's been with us from the beginning is Arno out, out at ALM, uh, out there in, in Las Vegas area. Arno is a great dude. He makes great stuff for, for police work and sport work, suits, tugs. I'm telling you right now, his tugs are the best in the business. You can't get any better. Multiple colors. Uh, I, I buy boxes of them from him and give them out to everybody. Uh, I've got a bite suit from him. Love it. I've had it for a little over three years and it's holding up like a champ. Um, Ted's got a suit that he's had forever from ALM. Uh, We wouldn't go anywhere else, man. We love it. Arno is such a good dude. His uh, ALM canine equipment.com is the website. Get on there. He's got pre-made suits. He can do custom suits based on your measurements. Um, he's got stuff already already made up. If you kind of get a kind of generic large size, maybe for everybody, the colors he has, man, is really cool. He can put a lot of stuff on those suits. Uh, check him out, almk9equipment.com, and use the discount code WD Radio for ten percent off. You know, running a kennel is one of those things that I always worry about: is cleanliness and safety of dogs. And it's, it seems like it's an ever changing issue being able to house dogs and move things around everything else. So the guys at horizon structure make this as easy as possible. Literally the only thing you have to do is have water and power hookups and they deliver it and you can put dogs in that day and it's comes built, comes on a trailer. They just drop it off. You plug it in, put dogs in it and you're ready to rock. You keep them clean. You keep them safe. You keep them cool in the summer and warm in the winter time. And it's completely custom. You can go complete mild to wild. I've seen some that were stainless steel all the way from top to bottom on the inside. And then I've seen some for a, a bulldog breeder that, you know, had smaller gates because those things can't jump. So if you reach out to them, uh, they're sitting there waiting for you to call and help you through the custom design process. They have everything from two dog ones up to, uh, I want to say like 18 or 20. It's a lot of, you can put a lot of dogs, indoor, outdoor runs. So anything you've ever dreamed of, They've got it, or have done it, or can do it. So they've taken all the guesswork out of building it. Everything is pre-done to your specifications that it's assembled, dropped off, boom, you're ready to rock. Things are amazing. Uh, Rigney has one. Uh, we've had him on the show a couple of times. Go check out his Instagram, and you can see he's posted it up there before. Go look Horizon up at Horizon Structures, spelled out. Uh, on the internet, it's horizonstructures.com, and you're going to look for the link in there that says commercial dog kennels. Or give them a call, 888 888- Four four seven four three three seven. They'd love to talk to you and get you started on the way. All right, we're back. Working Dog Radio broadcasting the bite. Uh, back with Scott Calendar from California. Uh, empirically canine. <laughs> um, we had just been talking about um, shaping behaviors with e callers and using this communication tool more than anything else. There's been quite a bit of um, the. I don't know shit going on on social media with on the pet side with using pet dog e collars and whatever else. We're not even going to touch yep. on. I don't give a sh- I don't give a shit about that dude. <laughs> uh, they can go get bent. I don't care. Um, I refuse to talk to people that don't understand all four quadrants. Um, I just don't. <laughs> like I'm sorry, I don't fucking care. Well, you know that there are still people in our industry that that feel that way, right? I, they can go get fucked too. Like, and yeah. you know what? Most of them have been bit. And Victoria Stillwell is one. I, we're not going to cut this shit out. She still owes me fucking money as it is. So she got bit by a fucking dog. And I actually know the dog to bit her. It's dead now. But you know what? Good on him. And, well, it was actually a female dog. But fuck her too. You know? And she's been si- notably silent. But uh, yeah, Victoria, if you're still listening to this, you still owe me money for the hits ticket. So you can go get Ben also. <laughs> 
Um, so in that respect, um, we've been talking about like shaping the behaviors and how we use the e-callers and this isn't really like the best venue to talk about it, but like going to Paraclete or one of Eric's classes, um, definitely will clean that up. But I think with the big takeaway that I want handlers listening to this is consistency. I joke with a lot of handlers at some HRDs and some of the other seminars I do where I'm like, motherfucker, I know you're consistent. Look at your ass. You're in the gym six days a week. I can tell you're consistent. Yep. Like, you know, consistency. And they're like, they kind of sheepishly look at me like, yeah, I know. I'm like, okay, well, I mean, then you understand. <laughs> like if you skip a workout, you get all fucking bent out about it. Right. Like, yeah. I'm like, well, <laughs> what do you want me to tell you? So that usually, and those are the guys that are usually the easiest to get through to. Cause they're like, okay, I get it. I'm like, all right, well, you yeah. know, and it's not like, and I tell them you don't have to go to the, it's not like going to the gym for like an hour and a half. Like I know you guys, like those dudes do like the dog needs like 10 minutes a day. It's not like huge. Like it's not, it's not something, it's not like groundbreaking time. Like you don't got to schedule nope. it out of your fucking day. So in fact, it's probably in that 30 minutes you get before and after the shift where they have to pay you. Exactly. Exactly. It's in everything. It's at, it's at home. You know, like I, I when right. I came home, I would pull my, you know, I'd pull my car into the garage. I would close my garage door. I'd get my dog out and I would walk into the house and I would make him sit outside the door leading from the garage to the house every night on the way in. Well, if he didn't sit one night, which happened on occasion, you know, I would stay consistent. And he'd get like a little, you know, a little flick. And that's one thing I want to say about the e-collar too, is, you know, the way we teach is, Hey, it's not just the e-collar like this method if you're going to communicate with your dog and use these methods, you have to do it all the time. And because we've all been in that situation where maybe our dog doesn't have the collar on, you know, it's our day off yeah. or whatever. Well, if you don't have the e-collar on, you still need to correct him. Like you need to do something to correct him, you know? And, um, cause he, he, once they, once the dogs understand that, you know, they really do, they expect you to correct them. And, uh, so I got, I got to tell you guys the story really quick. Um, cause you were talking about pets and stuff like my, I don't know about you guys, but my, my least favorite people to train as new dog handlers are the quote unquote dog people, right? Like the people that grew up with dogs and, you know, so I had this guy and awesome, awesome guy, new dog going through our basic. And, and it was, uh, it was our, our in-service night. So the whole unit's there and we're doing building searches and he, he comes up and his dog starts getting vocal on announcements. So he, he sends his dog into the building and I said, Hey, buddy, you know, uh, next time you come up, I want you to put a pinch collar on your dog because we're going to correct this problem before it gets worse. We're going to, we're going to work on this vocal problem. So a couple hours later, it's his turn again. He comes up and thank God my boss was there to witness this because I, this is, I shit you guys not, this really happened. So he comes up, puts his dog in the surveillance position on the door, starts giving announcements. I look down and there's no pinch collar on the dog. Hey, I told you to bring a pinch. What's going on? He's like, oh, no, Scott, we're, we're going a different route. I'm like, what do you mean we're going a different route? He goes, well, we had a talk in the parking lot, and we're going to go a different route. Like, And so now I'm kind of pissed. I'm like, hey, who are you talking to that's, like, undermining my ideas? Like, what? And he's like, no, man, we had a talk. It's good. And I'm like, no, who did you talk to, and what what route are you going to go? I mean, I'm, I'm the sole one that's responsible for training you. I want to know what's up, you know? And he's like, no, 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 we – me and my dog, we had a talk out by the car. Now, if I if I were to talk to you guys and I said, hey, I, I just took my dog behind the car and had a talk with him, what does that mean? Whooped his ass. Exactly. So I, then I'm like, you just whooped your dog's ass for what? He goes, no, 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 we had a talk. I'm like, what? He goes, yeah, we, we talked about it and we're not going to bark at the door anymore. Like, 
are you shitting me? You had a, you had a heart to heart with your dog. Um, But, and then, and then fast forward a couple years later, I got a guy that came to our unit that he came to me. He's like, you know what? He goes, Scott, I've never owned a dog in my life. I don't know anything about dogs. And um, yeah, I don't, I don't know anything. And I'll tell you what he was, he ended up being a phenomenal trainer. Well, he is a trainer now. Excellent handler because he, he didn't, it's kind of like firearms, you know, when you know how, you know, you talk to a firearms instructor and they'd rather teach somebody that's never handled a gun before than someone that's developed bad habits. Right. Oh, sorry. I just had to tell you that story. Cause it's still to this day. And I, and I just saw this guy at uh, the coffee shop the other day and I still give a shit about that. Like you had to talk with your dog behind the car and told him he couldn't bark at the door anymore. He has no clue what you're saying, you know, no clue. But um, yeah, the consistency thing is, is really, in my opinion, that's what it comes down to on everything. You know, you've got to be consistent with these dogs because that's what they respect and that's what they know. So, so uh, what all kinds of stuff are you guys apparently doing? What, what, you know, what do you got going you on? You know there? what? Um, it's been, so after COVID was done, we were really busy. We were doing, we were doing a lot because every, you know, everybody was kind of shut down for COVID and uh, you know, so probably spring of 2021 until, uh, Mid last year, we were we were pretty busy doing a lot of seminars. This year, and uh, Daryl and I both have had some other stuff going on in our our personal lives, so we haven't been as we haven't had as much going on. Um, we've got a class uh, starting on Thursday in Marietta, California, a behavior shaping with the car class, and that that's a really good group out there. And their Marietta's trainer Aaron Harwick is just a phenomenal guy, and he's one of those people that that I really respect in this industry. Cause let's face it, we all have type A personalities and we all think we're the experts, but, but Aaron is, is one of those exceptions that like just soaks it all in and he wants to learn as much as possible and provide the best uh, training for his guys. And so looking forward to, to getting out and training with him on uh, Thursday. And then uh, I think Daryl said, we've got something maybe in Pennsylvania and I think Idaho coming up uh, later on the spring and summer, but it's kind of slowed down a little bit right now. Is it, uh, are you guys offering what subject matters are you guys offering? So we offer, uh, number one, the behavior shaping with e-collar that I've already talked about. Uh, we also, because Daryl and I have a pretty significant SWAT canine integration, uh, and, and, you know, Daryl was the author of one of the two Romeo and Daryl started the LA County, uh, canine tactical course, which our course is literally, that, that same exact curriculum. The only difference is you don't get to repel out of a helicopter in our class because we don't have it. Uh, if you got one, we'll be happy to do it. But we we don't have enough. We don't have the resources to bring our own helicopter with us. But everything else is the same. So uh, kind of our, our bread butter is that SWAT integration and uh, behavior shaping with e-collar. We also have done uh, some problem-solving classes. Uh, my background, I didn't really talk about it before, but, um, you know, and, and some of the training I've done on my own has been more uh, revolved around uh, scenario-based training. And uh, I, I wish we had more time to do that. You guys, I know you guys do a, a phenomenal job without, and I got, I got a, so Daryl and I have a rule that if we talk shit about each other, that we tell each other, right? Mm-hmm. So I got to tell you, I've talked shit about you guys. Oh, sweet. Now look at the face. No. So <laughs> um, in, in 2015, um, Dick Van Leenen from, from the Netherlands is a pretty good friend. And he, and, and, uh, I know you guys said that I was from California earlier. I'm actually in Arizona, 
and Dick, Arizona. Dick got to know a lot of us in uh, Arizona. And he used to come over every year for, for training and, and kind of a vacation. So I think it was 2014 or 2015, a good friend of mine, Greg Thomas from the Gilbert Police Department, got a hold of me. He said, hey, Dick's coming. And he goes, what do you think about putting together this, uh, uh, you know, putting together like a multi-agency training night to train with Dick? I'm like, yeah, that's cool. So we, you know, all of a sudden it blew up and we had all these people interested in coming and it just kind of evolved into this two day seminar. And we wanted to restrict it to, we wanted to make it very specific to not newer dogs. We want to make it uh, all about like high risk deployments. And it went off with such a big <laughs> success that first year that the next year people wanted to do it again. And cause we were doing, I mean, we did some badass shit, man. And I mean, the second year we even, we even had it set up. So our breachers came out. We let everybody get exposed to doing explosive breaches with their dogs. Um, I mean, we were doing all sorts of pretty cool stuff and we're like, you know, we got to name this thing. So what are we going to name it? Well, what do you think we named it? <laughs> no shit. <laughs> a high risk deployment. Summit. High risk deployment. <laughs> you know? And so then I think it was a couple years later, I saw your guys' stuff. I'm like, Hey, these dudes stole our name, you know, but you probably had no idea. Yeah, it's we had no idea. Fun. Yeah, it, it was, yeah. So I wasn't yeah. really talking shit about you, but yeah, because because um, then Bradshaw calls it that yeah. too. I think yeah. when he he does that too, we saw that after. And then uh, yeah. I remember when uh, the um, guys from Albany County Sheriff's Office had us up to instruct at the uh, that they what the fuck were they calling it the Canine Street Tactics Seminar, and they caught shit from other people online about. They're like, oh, there doesn't look like any tactics here, and I'm like, okay, oh boy, yeah, I gotta shut the fuck up. Like, come you on, know, that's you know, that's <laughs> a one thing. We have you to know, call so, it something. I mean, like, I don't. What do you want me to call it? You know, social media has been so good for us, but it's also so toxic. I mean, it's just like I don't know if you guys are on that LEO Canine group on Facebook, but God, I, I, I feel bad for the newer handlers that post something on there looking for advice because they get maybe one or two things of good advice, and then they just get lit up by a bunch of I don't know why we eat our own so bad sometimes, but I mean, we're all out there trying to do the good thing and spread the good word. Right. I mean, it's, that's what it's all about, but yeah. Yeah. It's funny. Um, Dick, you know, he was in Aruba for a long yeah. time yep. and uh, I was, I go to Aruba every year. I've gone, been going there for about 20 years. And um, I, I was at one point selling dogs to the police department there. So when I would go there, I would have a day or two of my vacation where I'd be with the canine guys and the police canine guys hated Dick Van Leen and, and Dick hated the police canine guys. Yeah. And they would just both, it, it would be, I would be with the canine guys. He would drive by, <laughs> uh, they would, they would be, you know, F him. And I'm like, I don't even know the guy. I don't want nothing to do with it. And, and then I posted, something about a picture of me with him and he commented on that's not what the ministry of defense dogs or I'm like, yeah, I, I don't want nothing to do with any of your stuff. I don't know yeah. any, you know, cause he was working with the uh, prisons yeah. there for a yeah, while. He's so. back in Holland now. Um, yeah. So that it, it doesn't matter what country you're in, whatever it gets good yeah, like it, that. So Ted, um, real quick, um, today, today, so today's Tuesday, the 21st. There was a um, public hearing this morning out in California about that uh, that assembly yeah. bill to uh, ban the police canines as, as bite so, dogs. Um, our friend Greg Tani from DTAC posted about it. 
and uh, give an update so on what Bill you know. So it was Bill 742, and it was in the Assembly of Public Safety. They had a 6-2 vote today, or well, it was 6-2 vote. It was eight members on the committee. Uh, obviously, it was straight party lines, so Democrats voted for the restriction of this, and the Republicans voted no. I'm not a politician. Obviously, I don't like politicians. They're all shitheads as it is. Um, but they, there was a straight party line vote. Um, and this is the one where it restricts, um, the use of force with dogs, um, like specifically biting. If you're not following this, um, they want to remove the ability for police departments to allow dogs to, to, well, let me rephrase this. They want to restrict police departments from using dogs in the apprehension phase of detention via biting. Uh, but it doesn't restrict um, search and rescue, explosive detection, narcotics detection, just anything that revolves around biting. My problem with it, the way that they have it phrased, is me being a you know a white dude. Um, I'd have a problem with the way they're selling this. Um, they're selling it as some social justice stuff for um, preventing quote unquote, and this is their words, not mine, black and brown people from being victimized by police departments. And, uh, so it, it definitely, I think has some problems. Um, that now I think goes to, it'll go straight to the appropriations committee in the, in California. And then if it passes there, it'll go to the Senate for a vote. And after that, I assume if it passes, it goes to the governor for, um, passage, but, uh, you know, you know, other guys in, in the industry have done like our last guest that we had on before Scott, um, they did an episode on it. Um, at the shots fired thing um, about, and obviously the guys at DTAC have done their uh, back and forth on it. I actually want to have an actual California politician, a sitting California politician talk about this in an actual like conversation. I don't know that that's going to happen, but that's the goal that I'm moving forward on moving after this conversation <laughs> after we're done here. But <laughs> Uh, so Scott, give me a little bit of the background. And on top of that, I want to point out too, that this is not, this is the only one generating news. Um, New Mexico actually went a step further. They not only want to do the same thing that California's doing with dogs, but they want to remove all chemical agents. So no pepper ball, no mace, no C4, no tri-chambers. They want to also remove any electronic stuff. So no tasers, no taser shield, none of the fancy shit. So literally you have hands-on firearms and a baton like that's those are your options if it passes in new mexico if you're a cop yep which i yeah. mean not, i mean i it's guess crazy, give everybody it? give everybody carbureted crown vix back too like I, like I don't know what the fuck the, i i like people have lost their goddamn mind um so talk a little bit about being out there because i don't we don't have a problem here but being out there um Talk a little bit about like the climate and how this is like operating now. You know, um, well, first of all, I, I'm in Arizona and I work in Arizona. So, but it, it's, you know, Arizona up until very recently was a very conservative state. And we have a lot of people fleeing California and moving here, which unfortunately they're bringing their politics with them. Um, from talking, because I, I know a lot of guys in California, I train there a lot and it, kind of seems like it came a little bit by surprise. And the interesting thing to me is because you watch the news and you hear about, you know, the big cities in California and all the restrictions they have, um, you know, and how uh, politically correct the law enforcement has to be. But yet, you know, you talk to the guys that work in Southern California and they are still, they're still doing 
good old fashioned cop work. They really are. I mean, I mean, you see it on, on national news. They're still chasing cars, which, you know, my department got a no pursuit policy probably 25 years ago. And these guys are still chasing cars through town and, and, you know, deploying dogs. And, and they're, and the thing is, is they're doing good work too. They're not just, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's some bad examples here and there, but for the most part, they're doing it right. Um, my biggest concern with this is, you know, it's a, it, it really is an officer safety thing. And I know politicians and legal experts hate us using that officer safety thing or officer safety word. But, you know, my opinion, the whole point to a, a bite apprehension dog, you know, they're locating tools first, right? I mean, we use them to locate things we can't. In this case, we're locating a, a human suspect. And the purpose of that dog is to create reactionary time distance between us and a suspect that's that's in hiding waiting for us. Because we all know how potentially dangerous that can be. Um, and I think the thing that they're forgetting is how many, and, and I think you guys would agree, how many of our deployments result in no violence at all because the dog is there? I mean, I, I, I know you guys have had it. I've had numerous deployments most of our deployments go this way where we show up we give dog announcements and what happens they come out hey i don't want anything to do with the dog i, I give up i surrender um you know we we've all had those stories i remember my my we got a new sergeant and we had a working we had a working sergeant that had a dog and uh we were at training one night and they kicked and i don't even remember what the call was but they're asking for a dog and this guy is not really barricaded because he's outside of his front door but he's like saying, hey, send every cop you got. I'll take them all on. You know, he wanted to fight everybody. Well, we have some options there, right? The dog showed up. He didn't even get the dog out of the car. The bad guy heard the dog barking in the car, and he's like, hey, man, I don't want anything to do with that dog. Turn around, put his hands on his back. That kind of stuff happens all the time. And, you know, Mike Reaver from Mattelhurst was doing a podcast about this uh, recently and, and, and brought it up too. You know, I, I, I wish that the, the general public or the politicians, and I think we need to make an example of that or bring that up to defend this because most of our deployments end with zero violence. And and I really do believe that the fact that the dog is there is what results in that. Um, you know, there's something about our brains. We don't, we don't want to mess with a dog. We don't want to be attacked by, by an animal. Um, you know, it's kind of like being eaten by a shark or being attacked by a bear. You know, the most people in our psyche, we don't want to go one-on-one -on -one with that dog. Um, and in those cases, like we don't have to taser him, we don't have to beanbag him, we don't have to, you know, go hands on with them. You know, as soon as the dog is present, they they give up. Uh, I had a, a one that really stands out to me too. We had a shooting suspect that broke into a completely unknown, innocent person's apartment, and he was barricaded for probably two hours. And I, I, I finally, because we were back at cover, and I finally talked the bosses in. I'm like, hey, let's go up for each of the door. Let me give some dog announcements in the door so that the bad guy can tell that the dog is in the doorway and he knows it's him and the dog's coming in. And, and this is a guy that had been eating gas and doing all sorts of stuff. And as soon as he thought the dog was actually coming in, he came out and surrendered with no incident. And, and let's face it, guys, I mean, that, that's really the way most deployments go. And I think the general public doesn't realize that a, a police dog bite is a pretty rare occurrence. And, it, and it's... Um, it, it is. You know... It's that it doesn't happen that often. And, you know, and yeah. the one thing that like and the one thing that's nice about this show and like we said, the Internet is toxic, but the, that about 
this platform, not just working on radio, but like all the other podcasts and stuff is we get a little bit of perspective. And so yeah. having guests on here from all over the world and all over the country, we have a pretty good, not necessarily like Eric and I, but I think we have pretty good perspective, but um, our guests have some really good perspective. And I mentioned him earlier um, in the podcast, Steve White, he's been on before. Uh, he was retired from Seattle PD for like ever. Like, I think he got his first dog off the ark because uh, he was a <laughs> fucking Air Force handler before that. So yeah. like long time. Right. And Steve, if you're listening to this, you know, I love you. Um, and, you know, he was they. Washington went ahead and did that thing during the uh, a couple of years ago that during the summer, uh, the George Floyd summer. Where summer they love, a, baby. Yeah, that's what summer I call love. it. I, yeah. I wanted to refrain from saying that's what I call it. Summer <laughs> love. Um, where they went ahead and did some pretty hefty um, police use of force um, revisions is what I'll call it. Oh, yeah. Uh, there were several bills that happened within that. I mean, it was not just limited to canine, but within that, it made canine deployments almost – not necessarily impossible, but like the, the thresholds for bites were real, like it was a really, really thin, like analysis between am I going to do something else or am I going to bite this guy? And uh, there were some dogs killed and handlers injured as a direct result of that on Seattle PD and oh, yeah. not just in and some other places in the state. And since then, uh, I guess. In February of this year, uh, the governor signed some legislation rolling back a lot of those reforms, not like completely rolling them back, but they kind of stepped back a little bit like, yo, hold on a second. We didn't think this all the way through. So um, I'll say this. California is not really the best at remembering that they live in a country with 300 million people. Um, they tend to focus on their little bubble that they live in, and they think that the rest of the country is just going to follow them because they're fucking California. And uh, the politicians particularly uh, just reading a lot of the comments from both sides, um, both the bloods and the Crips, like they both kind of like have that mentality. And I want to like what I would like to for the rest of the country to remember is no one cares what California does. And two, for you in California, we don't care that you're going to trying to ban police dogs. We're not going to follow you. There are some States that will follow like Oregon will follow a lot of times just because of Portland, but for the rest of the country um, there, we don't care. There is an additional 240 million people that live in this country and we don't let, and I mean, you know, we have a weak form of central government as it is because and with the 10th amendment is there for a reason to tell other States to fuck off and tell the set, the feds to do the same thing. And it's an interesting concept because I think a lot of times people in California in general lose perspective, both in law enforcement and both in legislation. And this is a prime example of a lack of perspective. And I, <laughs> I agree with you on some things, but I, I do disagree on, you know, unfortunately, because I've talked to a lot of people throughout this country and other places, you know, I've got a guy that uh, I trained years ago from, from Idaho, Northern Idaho. I mean, Idaho is supposed to be like God's country, super conservative and stuff, but he had recently gotten a hold of me probably six months ago and said that even his chief was talking about getting rid of their bite dog program. And he's never had a bad bite. Never. He's done phenomenal work. And I think sometimes these liberal administrators, I, I think they, they forget that their job is to represent the people that live in their jurisdiction. It's not to represent the people that you know live in Los Angeles or New York. You know they need to represent the people that they that they live. You know or where they where they work. Um, but I gotta say, I mean, like I Daryl and I bought a dog actually um, from Connecticut 
this last year and a great dog only had like three months on the street and they were ending their bite dog program. And we ironically ended up selling them to uh, Eugene, Oregon, which I thought was kind of weird because of all the places you'd think would be ending their, their white dog program yeah. would be Oregon. But, um, you know, it seems, and, and, and I will say this guys, we, we got to do, we got to do it right. We got to do a better job. I mean, we all, we all see some of these videos of, of some of these dog situations and, you know, where guys are, you know, can't get their dogs off live bites or, you know, make bad decisions and give me, I, I, dude, I, I consider myself pretty good at my job, but I made some big mistakes and we all have had those moments. And, th- and fortunately, you know, when I made mistakes, they ended up turning out okay. <laughs> but, um, you know, this is a time where we really have to represent and we got to put our best foot forward and, and show that, you know, the police canine industry is a very professional industry and we take it very seriously. And, you know, cause it's a tool that we don't want to lose. I mean, I, I know you guys know this, but if that tool gets taken away, cops are going to pay. I mean, it's, it's as simple as that. I mean, you can't ask for a better tool to, to create that reactionary time distance between you and an armed suspect and a dog. There's no, there's no better tool out there. And we know that from, from decades of experience, but if, if we don't do a better job of selling our profession and putting our best foot forward, it seems to be the way of the world is the way it's going to go, you know? Greg Tawney from uh, DTAC and Police Canyon Radio posted today. He went to the open yeah, forum and got to speak. And he said it was a very poor turnout from the canine community. Yep. Very poor. I don't know if everybody's hoping that everybody, that someone else does it or they, nah, they can do it. But um, they did it six to two. And um, the, and they're not, they're putting it as a bill. They're not going to put it out as a vote to the populace. They're going to just, the the yep. liberal assembly there in California will vote on it. So we'll see how that happens. It's scary. And I- well, Scott, this is a good episode, man. There's a yeah. lot of information in here. Um, hopefully people keep an eye on it. People out in California um, get out there uh, in New Mexico. I don't know if Arizona is next and if they fall in line with that I, I trio not, kooks there, that whole, I really hope not, but we'll see. It seems like the whole country is going to get yeah, a little weird. Know. So, right. So, Scott, if people want to follow you on social media, where can they find you? Um, they can check me out at Scott Paraclete Canine at, on Instagram. Um, Daryl's also got a Paraclete Canine Instagram page, um, and that's pretty much it. We've got the uh, the website, which is what we recommend to most people. It's uh, www.paracletecanine.com. Letter K number nine. Uh, letter K number nine. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, we'll put it in the show notes. Yeah. Um, letter K. Do you guys put your schedule on there? You know what? And that's, I'm glad because we kind of talked about that earlier. We don't, because we both kind of have lives outside of this. And honestly, we don't, we don't do this for the money. You know, one of the, and that's going to sound kind of, kind of gay. Oh shit. I can't say that. Can I, but one no, of the things can. I, one of the things <laughs> I fell in love with Daryl was one of the first times I met him, he made a statement and he said, you know, uh, if I give just one handler, one piece of information that saves his life someday, I've done my job. And that's, and I think that's why we yeah. get along so well, because, you know, we don't do this for the money. We do it to kind of stay because we love it, first of all, and we want to get information out there. So we don't schedule um, classes. We, the way, you know, people get a hold of us and say, Hey, when, when do you got a class or when are you going to do this? We tell them, you know what, we'll set something up with you. If you can you know, host us, we'll, you know, we'll come out, we'll get more people to come. So we do it on an as need basis. We don't, uh, 
we don't schedule things really in advance. So uh, when oh, when we okay. have events okay. coming up, then we put it on the website um, and we put it out there on social media. But we don't, you know, we don't schedule like one seminar a month or anything like that. Yeah. And maybe maybe things will change. That's good. Maybe things will change, but it's uh, you know, it's just a retirement gig for right now. So. Yeah. Cool. Ted, what about uh, you? Torchlight Canine, letter K number nine on the Instagrams and the Facebooks. Uh, and then also my personal one, Ted underscore Summers on Instagram. That's all of the all of canine stuff that we're doing day to day. We also have Torchlight Pets if you want to watch this train. My trainers train doodles and like, uh, yeah, we have a sheep dog right now or like a Jack Russell Terrier thing that's biting everybody right now, which it's, so yeah, he's, he like he could be a police dog. Uh, he's <laughs> yeah, but and then HRD, uh, we have one HRD police canine uh, it's on Instagram and Facebook, and then of course the podcast is working underscore dog underscore radio, and yeah, that's where we put all this stuff out. So yeah, Scott, this has been good, Very man. Cool. Um, I appreciate it, and no, uh, I. Like, it's a good I can't thank you guys enough. I, I kind of wondered, like, what do you want me on here for? You guys had some big name people on this show. So, <laughs> but I appreciate the opportunity to talk to you and get some information out there. Yeah. Yeah. We're really, really glad you could get on there. Yeah. You know, I know we're cutting into your dinner time. So. Nah, nah, not at all. I, like I told you on the it's, phone, man, I could talk dogs kennel. all day. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Unfortunately we do talk yeah. dogs yeah. all day. So me too. <laughs> all right. Uh, guys, thanks for checking in, tuning in, and we'll see you on the next one. Yep. You got your reasons, and I got my wants. Still got that feeling, but I'm too old to die young now. Working Dog Radio was graciously granted permission to use this music by Brother Deeg. Be sure to check him out at brotherdeeg.blogspot.com. That's spelled brother, D-E-G-E. Blogspot.com. Be sure to buy him a beer at Amazon, iTunes, or CD Baby, or anywhere you stream your music. Working Duck Radio was edited and co-produced by Alicia Brandt.